Oh, hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is James Bloodworth. He's a journalist, podcaster, and an author. We are talking about the modern dating economy. The modern dating market is a mess. From polyamory to OnlyFans, Tinder to trad wives, no one really knows the best approach for navigating these waters, and the lessons from our parents no longer apply. James has dedicated an entire podcast series to the most interesting parts of the dating economy, and today, we're going through them. Expect to learn whether porn addiction is really a thing, why sexual inequality is the only inequality no one wants to campaign for, James's insights around what Tinder is doing to dating, why 17% of people think that approaching anyone is harassment, and much more. Also, we've just released a video on the YouTube channel about why being an entrepreneur absolutely sucks. Hustle and Grind Culture tells you that you should flip your soy boy boss off and leave your job to go and make it on your own and create millions, but the reality of working for yourself is very different. And in this video, I go through exactly why it's quite challenging and it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Go and check it out. It is linked in the show notes below or just go on the Chris Williamson YouTube channel and you will find it there. All right, quick maths. The less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money that you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce the costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you are improving efficiency by bringing all your business processes into one platform. Over 37 thousand companies have already made the move so do the maths and see how you will profit with NetSuite. Back by popular demand NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com modern right now. That's netsuite.com modern. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. I've won Whoop for over four years now, since way before they were a partner on the show, and it is the only wearable I have ever stuck with because it's the best. It is so innocuous, you do not remember that you've got it on, and yet it tracks absolutely everything 24-7 via something from your wrist. It tracks your heart rate, it tracks your sleep, your recovery, all of your workouts, your resting heart rate, your heart rate variability, how much you're breathing throughout the night. It puts all of this into an app and spits out very simple, easy to understand, and fantastic fantastically usable data. It's phenomenal. I am a massive, massive fan of Whoop, and that is why it's the only wearable that I've ever stuck with. You can join for free, pay nothing for the brand new Whoop 4.0 strap, plus you get your first month for free, and there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. So you can buy it for free, try it for free, and if you do not like it, after 29 days, they will give you your money back. Head to join.whoop.com slash modernwisdom. That's join.whoop.com slash modern wisdom. This episode is brought to you by AG1. AG1 is a daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Even with the best diet in the world, it is hard to make sure that you get everything that you need. And through a science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced nutrients, AG1 delivers comprehensive support for the brain, gut, 
and immune system. This is why Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman and Dr. Andrew Huberman and Tim Ferriss are all massive fans. They have tried every other product out there like I have, and this is by far the best one available. Since 2010, AG1 have improved the formula 52 times in the pursuit of making the best foundational nutrition supplement possible through high quality ingredients and rigorous standards. Also, there's a 90-day money-back guarantee, so you can buy it and try it for 89 days, and if you don't like it, they'll just give you your money back. Head to drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom for that 90-day money-back guarantee, a year's free supply, vitamin D, five free travel packs, and more. That's drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom. But now, it's time for the wise and wonderful James Bloodworth. James Bloodworth, welcome to the show. Nice to be here. Why is calling the dating market the dating economy a good term? Um, I, I'm not sure it's a good term. I mean, it's it's it seems very um, it seems slightly brutal to to look at the, that dating romance and and our ideas of romance to turn it into some kind of economic exchange. Um, I th- but I think it can be useful. I think it can be a useful way to it can be a useful metaphor. For, for some of the things that are going on in in the world of dating, and I think it, it can be a useful metaphor for people who aren't in that dating market at the moment. Say older, typically older people who are married or who grew up in a very different era when very different social norms prevailed. I think the idea of of a dating economy uh, can be a useful way to convey to them some of the inequalities that exist now. And it's, and and the final point really is with dating apps, you have actual data. Um, on what men's women's preferences are, so it, it, it that can it, that can be put in spreadsheets. So it's kind of a it's kind of an economy. Yeah, well, you're hearing more sort of economic language around this stuff now. People are scored out of ten. You have algorithms that are manipulating people's uh, ranks on dating accounts. There are like sexual market value is a term that's often used in men's rights spaces around the relative age to attractiveness graph that goes on. So it kind of it kind of does make sense. And yeah, I suppose communicating it to people who found their found their partner a very long time ago, they need something to be able to bridge the gap between their dating world and ours, which is essentially a different universe. Yeah, I, and I mean there is a dark side to it as well though. I think there's there's a dark side to um treating it as an economy and 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 treating it in this very like deterministic fashion. Um, quantitative fashion, where you you ascribe these certain characteristics to someone, say like a Chad, so like the the, the good looking Chad guy, and that you know that's the person who 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 gets with women, and then this other person who doesn't look the right way uh, doesn't. You know they have no chance. It's over, as, as some of the incels say. I think that kind of determinism can tend to creep into it um, when it's seen as like an economy, whereas in like in reality like dating is it's not you know a market where there's certain laws which exist it's it's there's there's nuances aren't there like someone doesn't um yeah it's too too simplistic too too deterministic i'd agree so since 2008 the number of american men under 30 reporting no sex has nearly tripled why do you think that is 
I think there's more than one factor, of course. I mean, I think the the most obvious one, like historic one, would be the shift from like a monogamous culture to what we have today, which is today is I wouldn't call it hookup culture. So I think today it's a mixture. Some people are very engaged with dating apps and, and hookups, but I think a lot of people do still um, want to pursue like a more traditional route. But I think that that's one big change. So whereas in the past you had you lived in a small community. Um, you tended to pair off with someone suitable for you. Um, women didn't have the same earning power they had, so women were, were more restricted, unfortunately, in, in like who they could um, choose to date because they tended to have to marry who their family approved of because of financial reasons. Um, so that would be the first reason. That's no, that, that culture is no longer really as strong as it was in the past. So women don't need to settle down with men they're not attracted to, basically. Um, the second reason I suppose I think dating apps have made a big difference because and when I say dating apps I also mean apps like Instagram um, because I think this idea that, that how you present yourself is also is almost more important than the your substance as a per person so like if you know how to present yourself properly um, I think you can do really well in in today's like dating economy even if you don't necessarily have the attributes of the the chat or whatever but I think um if you most people don't don't know that I don't think and um, that makes it very hard for them to kind of when when more than 50% I think of people who young couples who get together nowadays it's they met on a dating app so if you don't know how to present yourself through a screen if you're not photogenic um, if you can't convey things like status or uh, good looks or, or whatever resources um, social dominance or whatever over a, over a photo or a, or a profile I think then you have a really hard time and so um, you're in the house looking at porn because that there are the easy alternatives as well. So to kind of satiate you, so you don't need to go out and uh, risk rejection. More than fifty percent of couples met online. Yeah, it's, 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 it's you, you'd assume that anyway now. I think because I mean anyone. I, I met my girlfriend on on Hinge. Um, my friends, they're they're the people they're meeting. It tends to be on dating apps. It's there's still bar stuff. You still meet people in bars and stuff until the pandemic but it's apps are just an easier option mm. yeah it's an interesting one man thinking about what that means what that does to us as a as a society i think that you're right this kind of this desire to be able to understand everything creeps in from other other areas right so science tries to explain the entire world in terms of concepts and then we want to be able to add that sort of deterministic reductionist rationalist perspective to dating as well okay so what am i out of 10 what height am I at? How many matches have I got on Tinder? Where do I sit in my sexual market value? All of these things seem to sort of coalesce. Yeah, and it, and it, and it even going back to say like the the pickup artists in the so Neil Strauss brought out the the, the game in like two thousand five, I think it was, and um, even around that kind of scene, it was it kind of was really about nerds basically, socially awkward men trying to put the kind of treat it like engineering treat it like treat it treat dating like you're an engineer or you're so you, you know you put this wire in here or you press this button and then you get this response and kind of quantify everything and remove the like uncertainty because the, the pain is in the uncertainty isn't it when you when you first go out with someone when you first approach someone to start a conversation or something it's it's a uh, fear of rejection it's, it's you know terrifying so if you can kind of quantify everything so uh you can uh, figure out, you know, if you take this move, then then this outcome will happen. Or it gives you a, a rationale for just giving up. So within cells, it's. Uh, I think there's a there's a kind of 
misanthropic uh, aspects to some of it where you kind of you kind of self-flagellate yourself and, and get something from that. And these doctrines like the black pill tell you, oh, it's over. You know, there's no point even trying. And there is a kind of a weird freedom in that, you know, just like legitimate your suffering. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. a nihilism like screw the world, you know. Mm. Or not in this case. Fuck the world. <laughs> Fuck the world. <laughs> what do you think it says that a lot of the guys that were part of that fratire pickup artistry community 10 to 15 years ago are in really weird places now. So Neil Strauss has had the biggest 180 ever and seems to be sort of super happily married. Um, that mystery guy, I don't know where he's gone. That Roosh V, he's now like a born-again Christian or something. Tucker Max, the guy that invented fratire, the entire fratire genre, he's now uh, like a paragon of mdma psychotherapy and went to psychotherapy every day for five years and now is self helping people to self-publish books like david goggins what do you think that says is that just guys growing up is that just mistakes that you make when you're single and then the wrangling effect of a relationship or is there something else going on there i mean different different for different cases so i mean i think different things are going on and there's also you know the big part of the what used to be like the pickup community is now in moved into like self-help and and um personal development of you know a spiritual supposedly like a spiritual kind of transformation and stuff um i think the one reason i think this happened so i mean i've seen people from that that old community on videos you know doing anti-vax stuff as well and that kind of thing now you know the calling it the pandemic and things like that um which i think I think part of that comes from a, an initial distrust of the mainstream. So if we go back to say like 2005, when, when Neil Strauss published his book, the reason, one of the reasons that lo like lots of men were kind of drawn to the, the pick up stuff, I think. Um, and I, you know, when it first came out, I was interested in this, you know, I, I, I sucked with just social skills in general uh, when I was like 22, 23. And I think a lot of people got drawn into that because what the mainstream told young people and men and women uh, about romance was kind of you kind of started to see through it as you as you reach your kind of teens early 20s and you know it didn't just happen you know fate didn't take care of it uh the, the it, being nice you know being a gentleman being chival a chivalrous gentleman it wasn't uh you know the girls it, it didn't weren't interested in you like in, in college or whatever and it was the you know it's the cliche like the the guy who was Kind of a dick who seemed to uh, who seemed to be the one who who got with the with the attractive girls, and not necessarily because he was a dick, but there was there was you know other things going on there. But I think lots of people who got into the PUA, PUA and pickup stuff, they saw this mainstream narrative, you know, heard their parents telling them, "Oh, just like be nice and you'll meet someone," and it, they just saw right through it. And then there was a the void there, and then the, the kind of pickup artist stepped in and said, "You know, this you know they they actually said that some of the dating is counterintuitive." Um, like flirting, for example. Um, but there was this toxic side to all of that too. Um, and I think um, I forgot, kind of forgotten where I'm going with this. But but just that where's that? Where, what, what, why have we seen these people from there pivot into these incredibly sort of different lives? You know, only ten years later. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, distrust of the mainstream. So you've seen that kind of that their whole trajectory from pick up to like self help to some of the religious like weirdness that, that this guy Rush V I mean he was a very toxic example at, at, right the way through uh, in my opinion so 
Um, but I think the distrust of the mainstream has has propelled these people into different um, cults, basically. Um, and and th- part of that is because the mainstream does talk rubbish on dating advice. And I think pickup and was was sort of a reaction to that, um, even though you know it was it was itself quite toxic in many ways. You spent a fair bit of time last year speaking to people on a podcast about the modern dating economy. What were some of the more surprising insights that you weren't ready for during your research for that? Um, I suppose, I mean, I've always been kind of op- optimistic about uh, people's uh, potential to like self-improve in some ways, like the average but average person. I know people have different problems and stuff, but I think, um, yeah, someone someone of like average looks, average kind of abilities can like go to the gym and like improve themselves a bit and things will get easier in terms of like dating. Um, but I, I suppose... Speaking to people on the podcast, there was there was a couple of conversations where I kind of I spoke to to, to someone about lookism. I had a conversation about lookism. What's that? Uh, so it's it's discrimination based on what people look like. So we all we all do that in in dating, but it's 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 kind of across other areas. So you know you earn less over a lifetime if you um, uh, 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 stereo, uh, stereotypically less attractive, and you earn more over a lifetime if you're stereotypically attractive. Um, I kind of learned more about how how deep that is in society, how deep the kind of how deeply we we often treat, how differently we often treat, you know, stereotypically good looking people from from those who aren't so so fortunate in that way. Um, and also, you know, I think a lot of the advice to given to incels can be condescending when it comes from that kind of self development, self help space. So um, I had a conversation with William Costello, who's who's done some writing on research on on incels, and he, he, you know, he's recorded that, that one of the things that's most often said to incels is, oh, just lift, just lift, bro, you know, go to the gym and that'll solve your problems. And, um, you know, just just go out to the bar and, and if you're, you know, pickup artist told them to just go out to a bar and just start approaching. But then there's a bit of kind of arrogance to that because we don't understand always this, this, some of the issues that some of these people are going through. So you have people with physical deformities, you have people with, you know, 20, 20%, I think, of people on the, in the incel community uh, have have Asperger's or, or high functioning autism. Um, so I mean, just telling someone to go out to a bar um, and socialize or go to the gym is, you know, sometimes it's harder for those people. Mm. Yeah, that was what came up speaking to Nama on the podcast as well. That the languages in the worlds that people, different people exist in, they don't work anymore. The pieces of advice that previously we would have got from our parents or from modern dating doesn't understand but then as you get more and more nuanced they don't understand the challenges either there was another one that i thought was really interesting talking about the differences between men and women 17 percent of young people think approaching anyone is harassment but also 90 percent of women want the man to approach first how can those two things exist at the same time yeah i mean there's a weird kind of um cognitive dissonance dissonance in the culture generally i think when it comes to dating at the moment so that's one example where um you have a thing is i mean I, that that's 17 percent or whatever that's like people they're, they're all online because it seems like that's if you're on twitter or something um and you even suggested you know approaching someone you were interested in just you know in a bar or something or you know coffee shop or whatever they would say that's you know borderline harassment already it's this weird but then if you go out into into the real world i mean people are still meeting like that people it's still it's still happening but there's this weird like discourse online which pretends um which scolds anyone who would who would dare to 
to do such a thing. Um, I think that's. I think there is a there is an issue for men in terms of um, so so men don't often perceive how uncomfortable they make women feel. They often don't. Um, uh, there was a, a recent book by David David Bust, the yeah, he's been on. He was amazing. Yeah, his 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 work is really interesting. And his book Bad Men, uh, he talked about you know the the kind of empathy gap where if a woman's like approached by by these creepy guys, then the men doing the men being creepy will often not understand that they're being creepy. There's the, this like empathy gap, and uh, they don't understand how uncomfortable they're making women feel. So I mean, I think there are there are I, I think there's a backlash against that, and women are kind of demanding in many cases, not to be harassed or even talked to in, in the public kind of space. Um, but, but I think there's, a, there's an obvious balance. Like um, there's, a way, there's a way to go and start a conversation with someone and there's a way not to do it. I think common sense is like most people outside of the kind of Twitter weird ideological tower, ivory tower, understand what's creepy and what's not, at least on one level. Um, but yeah, there's, there's this kind of weird uh, ideological cognitive dissonance at the moment. It is strange because I, I understand you want to, you don't want to get people into a situation where they're made, made to feel uncomfortable. Nobody wants that. No one, and least of all as a guy, you don't want to be the guy that makes someone feel uncomfortable either. But on the flip side, 90% of women want the man to approach first. And this is something that keeps on coming up. Desire and the market always kind of manifests everyone's truth forward. So for instance, when... Companies talk about, or, or uh, social justice activists talk about, perhaps, um, let's say, the, the perils of fast fashion. Like, I can't believe that these companies are selling these clothes for so cheap and they're damaging the environment and they're hurting the workers. But then when you look at what those girls wear on their nights out, they'll happily go on pretty little thing and grab themselves a dress for £10. So the market always seems to kind of find where people's real truths lay. And then the same thing seems to happen in dating too that in some ideologically pure environment where we try and nerf any discomfort out of the world, yeah, maybe there are situations in which maybe the safest world that we could exist in is one where no man ever walks up to a woman because that means that no woman can ever be made to feel uncomfortable. But it also means that most women are not going to feel like they're desired and desire is a really important thing. So yeah, you do have these sort of conflicting ideologies bouncing up against each other. Yeah, and, and I think there's there's it's very hard to have a conversation about inequalities in the dating quote unquote market. Is is I find this very um, hard to have conversations with when it's with people who haven't like studied this in some way or who who haven't taken an interest in it. So they're just looking at it from like a personal perspective. I find with guys, there's like a lot of guys have a lot of ego around. Um, around this stuff so you know they, they they may have met their significant other you know in an in an old-fashioned way like through through college or through work or something um but then they believe that you know if they wanted to they had the so they have the social skills to go and meet you know in a bar just walk up to someone and, and talk start a conversation or whatever and so they kind of sneer at the incels and and um you know throw the insult incel around everywhere um, to kind of show that they're superior to those people, whereas if they were in the same context incels are in now, um, that you know they just they literally got lucky in in that situation. And so there's kind of an ego attached to discussing uh, some of these things. I think women are reluctant to discuss um, like dating inequality, partly because I think there's a legitimate fear of a regression to some of the kind of socially conservative norms 
of the past, the one, like the, in particular the ones which 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 didn't give women much freedom because you know it sought to control their sexuality. I think there's there's a fear on the part of women to to kind of look at dating inequalities because there's an aspect of that which feels to them like um, we're blaming women for their choices, you know, for not choosing the nice the nice uh, the nice guy who works in insurance or whatever. Um, but for like for like going off with like Chad who has a motorbike, um, I think there's an element of um, because I think that's too deterministic as well. But I think women fear um, that conversation taking centre stage because then you then get a movement which tries to put women back into this box uh, where they don't have any sexual freedom at all. Yeah. In a world where inequality is quite in vogue and and applauded at the moment, why do you think sexual inequality is one of these ones that just isn't? Apart from the desire of women not to be put back into a sort of a, a trad world, which is perfectly legitimate i think i think partly because the, like what's the what would the remedy be i mean there is i mean there's the, the remedies are uh, individual so the remedy if you're so i mean the remedy if you're someone who's like struggling uh to if you're a, if you're a guy who's struggling to get any kind of date or anything i mean there is really no other remedy than kind of individual work on yourself in some ways like or just focusing on other things so so work on yourself you know basic self-improvement stuff I think kind of holds true like go to the gym get some hobbies improve your social skills and like find ways to start talking and conversing with people so you so your social muscle like builds more I mean and and also I would say just like focus on other stuff because uh I think one of the problems is there is a kind of so the the when the feminists talk about this issue what they are right about is uh the, the the way men treat each other based on how many people the how many women the man's had sex with it's like we hold men in much higher esteem typically culturally if they're seen as someone who you know um has you know gets with women or whatever it's it's you know you'll see and, and whereas if you're not you're insulted as you know in the play from the playground age it's like a virgin or an incel now and i think um if, if men i think men kind of have to move away from that value system a bit because it's 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 quite um there are lots of problems with it, but one of them is if you if you happen to be at the, the lower end of that hierarchy and you're attaching so much value to to the fact that to your to your ability to to get in a partnership or whatever, you think that that's the be all and end all of life. I think that that makes it worse. I mean, there is a there is a there is something to be said for you know focusing on some vocation or whatever instead, and and then funnily enough, paradoxically, I think people are more attractive when they do that as well. They they gain status, they become. Uh, more attractive people because they have ambition and drive and whatever. Mm. It's it's a weird one because I think a lot of women judge other women's looks more harshly than men do because they're able to see the finer points of that dress with those earrings and those nails are shit or whatever. And then men judge other men's status and resources and sexual conquests. Now, the consequences are more important to the other side because that kind of gets to work out where you are hypergamously within the hierarchy for each different gender. But a lot of the discomfort actually gets delivered from your own side, right? You get the, the pain about not pulling or being a virgin or an incel or whatever from your own side, more so from the other. And the same thing goes for, for looks with women, that a lot of the criticisms I think that women have around beauty standards for women, the, the finger needs to be pointed very heavily at women for creating these beauty standards for each other. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's kind of an element of, of interest, intersexual competition. So like, 
pulling other women down and men do it as well just in a, in you know different way they 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 berate them for for kind of different different things um and try and kind of um subvert their kind of masculinity and, and belittle them uh, for that but i think it's um i mean i i, I think there's we, we've come from like a, an era where there were where there were all these norms around um you know marriage and the nuclear family and many of those were quite quite sexist and stuff and now you've got you've got the kind of residual memory of that so you've got a generation above us um who who that was completely normal and 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 those attitudes they still pass on to to their to their kids and stuff and um we have a, a more liberal which i think is generally a good thing uh sexual climate now where the same ideas are, are kind of um transmitted to, to young men who aren't very successful that you know oh if you if you don't um if you aren't finding someone to settle down with or if you aren't sleeping with all these women you're, you're basically a loser and a virgin and an incel i think that's uh I think that's yeah, that's incredibly toxic, and I think that's um, and, and 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 apps like Instagram and and whatnot, where you've seen the rise of influencers like Dan Balzerian, it's um, it, it kind of elevates even more this idea that, that the the kind of the really successful man is the person with with like a harem of of, of women or whatever that polygynous, and you know that's not necessarily a very good outcome for the for the women either because they're they're treated as kind of uh, props in that in that scenario. What are some of the challenges that women have in the modern dating market? I think the, the age old one of, of threat of violence. So um, the risk. So I know going out on, on a date with someone new for, for us, say on, on like an app or something, we, it wouldn't really cross our mind that's, that like our head could end up on a stick at the end of the night or something. It's, it's like there's that that wouldn't even like I wouldn't even think about that generally. You're not bothered uh, about whether she's putting something in your drink. Yeah. I did have a stalker, but well, I do, I do kind of have a stalker, so it's I probably shouldn't say it, but it's still, it's, um, I don't think the, the fear of physical violence isn't, isn't like the same. Um, so no, I think that's obviously for women, that's, that's the biggest challenge. I think also now you have on, on dating apps, there's a level of inequality. So there's a, uh, like the, the data we have, is like a relatively small percentage of men, like 10, 20%, um, whatever it is tend to be the ones getting most of the matches and then the average male is is not not doing that well uh, you know just 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 a few matches and i think for for women on the one hand that's good because they're now they have a wider pool of, of people to kind of shoot their shot at so if you're a woman on a dating app um you can actually try you can actually start a conversation with the highest status guy who maybe lives in the city when you live in the country or whatever and you can at least have a shot at that but i think it can be bad for women because i think they then get used by a lot of those 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 men and not necessarily like women can enjoy you know casual hookups with as much as as much as men and 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 that's um yeah i mean that's that's um i think we're, we're beginning, society is beginning to accept that more now but it's also i think they often date these guys in the hope of a relationship and then the guys string them along and then they end up kind of using them so i think um women can get the raw end of the can get a raw deal um yeah across the board it seems to be the chads who do the best at, the so-called chads who do the best out of the dating app economy there's only them that have won <laughs> as far as i can see so yeah i would i would agree and say that more choice for women more liberation fewer judgments around sexual sort of freedom yeah those are good things but as women become higher status better educated with more resources they want to date up and across but as men can't keep up with the women that are now starting to outperform them, the women 
all they really have left to do is to have an ever-increasing group of women competing for an ever-decreasing group of high-performing, high-status men, or to date someone that fundamentally they're slightly less attracted to. And if you've been through the dating pool on Tinder and you have had a hookup or a couple of hookups with these super high-value men, you're now, you've got this sort of comparison game going on where you think, well, this was this was what I got before, therefore I can get it again, but the paradigm within which that worked, like it's hookup versus relationship, and then that creates resentment amongst some of the guys as well. I've had comments on previous videos from people saying that it's the duty of guys to young single guys to find a woman at 22 or 23 and settle down with them because going through a laundry list of girls you know every six months or whatever throughout your 20s is effectively tying up their reproductive capability uh so that they they aren't this is monogamy as a sexual redistribution strategy right like that if it's one man to one woman then it enables more men to have sex with more with the equal number of women that they have but um yeah it's a challenge man this whole thing's got so messy and who would have known you know who knew that downstream from women being able to quite rightly learn as much as they want and earn as much as they want and move up within organizations and gain status and buy houses and do stuff like that. Most women don't want to date a man that doesn't work. I think you, this is a stat I learned from you that only like 10 or 15% of women would ever consider dating a man who's either part-time employed or not employed at all. Um, all of these things are challenges. All of these things are, are really difficult. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a question of, of both men and women recognizing certain i don't like i mean as as much as this is i hope this is possible but men and women kind of recognizing certain biological like drives in terms of um finding someone of higher status or a man you know being attracted to you know like a, a 40 year old man you still pursuing you know 25 year old women or whatever i've got but some friends i've got some friends that are like that yeah yeah i mean there's there's kind of um there's kind of two there's there's kind of some things which which we know kind of there's a tendency towards. So, so if you, there's surveys with like men from the ages of, um, you know, 20 to, to 40 or whatever, they, the age of the women they're attracted to stays around the same. It's like, doesn't. So when they're, when they're 20, it's like 23 year old women or when, it, when they're 40, it's still 23 year old women or whatever. But it's like, it doesn't mean you have to actually do that. It's like, it doesn't mean it's, it's, it's morally a good thing for someone who's, um, you know, a married person to just keep trading in for like a younger partner. There's something kind of very shallow, very immoral, immoral about that. Um, and there's something, you know, our society in general, it, it kind of reflects something in our society in general where everything is seen as like disposable, including your, your significant other way. You just throw it away and kind of buy it, essentially buy, like buy a new one or, or replace it with something newer and shinier. In many cases of these people, yeah, probably is buy, buy another one. Um, but I, I think it doesn't mean you have to actually like live that. And the culture, I think, makes a big difference as well. And for women, um, it's, you know, yeah, like there may be an aspect of, of biology which kind of um, put, moves them towards pursuing uh, the, the highest status uh, man in the community or, or who's accessible. But is that always the should it should cult, the culture encourage that or should it say, you know, there are other values that are important as well? Because I think those things do make a difference. It's going to be hard to make don't go for like you don't deserve the best. Yeah. Like, you know, this whole kind of you're worth it. Yeah, you're not you're you're worth slightly less than you think you are is like the, the message to take from that. But there's this whole sort of don't settle, no settling, clapping back, be a boss bitch. These sorts of things don't 
lend themselves toward women being accepting of of challenges with a partner and if you have finally managed to get a guy that is of the right status with everything else i don't know if you can culturally i don't think that the layer the, the layering of completely um ridding us of how would you say evolved cultural wisdom that a, a single relationship be attractive to many partners but choose one um dispensing with that whilst also saying that you should get whatever you want I think that these two things provide a, a very difficult dating market, specifically for women, more so than for men. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think we're moving the other way as well. So it's, I think we're still moving in the opposite direction, where, um, where you know, it, it, we're, we're not moving back towards you know more monogamous culture. We're moving more to a place where I think social media is an interesting one here in terms of how it's like expanded the dating pool. So um, if you have an app like Instagram um for for like say a relatively attractive woman who lives in like a small town or something um if she gains some kind of instagram clout she's going to have access to a much wider pool of men you know low-key celebrities and, and whatnot than she would in she's gonna have the blue ticks like sliding into her into her dms and, and whatnot so she's now got access to to those potential partners in a way that she like didn't wouldn't have had in the past um, and I think that's as technology kind of increases, it's the, the, the purpose of technology in our economy now is to kind of um, create more choice for us to, to, to expand our choice potential. Um, and so there is a there is kind of encouragement to kind of have it all to pursue the absolute top thing. Um, but also the what's considered, you know, status or high status, a lot of that is conditioned by the culture. So if we look at good looks, for example, there's a stat from so I think every decade since the 1930s, um, every decade no not every decade since the television age, uh, people have have attached more status to good looks in a partner than previously. So every decade since whenever TVs were, were went like mass market, um, people you know you you they're attracted to to certain good looks, but it's also there's status attached to looks as well. Why do you think, think that is? Because I, I think you know. Uh, presentation so so in it if you move from an economy where it's print based to to where it's all on a screen you have the rise of politicians like jfk for example telegenic charismatic um and i think that 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 means then status becomes attached to those those qualities and that feeds over into dating as well and i think dating apps have accentuated that even more so when i was when i was coming up in, in the, the mid-2000s as, as like a teenager and early 20 something you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't doing very well with the uh, with the opposite sex at that time. But there was I was never worried about something like my height. Like I'm like what five five eleven I think. But it was never like oh you've got to be six foot or, or something like that. That to me is something that's been it was always there a little bit, but it's been kind of um, formalized from the culture around dating apps. And I think the same is true about certain types of good looks. So um, the importance of being good looking, the status attached to it, is more now. One, because things happen through a screen often, the first impression, but also because because women have more economic independence, so um, can freely choose more. They don't have to necessarily think about how much money the person has um, if they're attractive, if they're physically attractive. Are there some intersecting groups of feminists at the moment? I don't really understand how all of feminism is fragmented, but... I imagine that some groups are kind of happy with the direction in which things are going and others kind of want to turn things around. Have you looked at any of this? 
Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anyone's, I mean, the, the, I guess with activists, no one's ever happy with the direction things have gone. I mean, are going because otherwise you cease to become an activist and what the hell would you do with your time then if everything's, everything's fine already? Um, you sound like a neo, neoliberal then. But um, no, I think, I think, yeah, it varies. So, I mean, sex positive feminists tend to see uh, hookup culture as, as, you know, broad, sexual freedom as broadly a good thing. And in some ways, I think I think they're right. I think it's um, I think, you know, I, I, I adhere to the basic kind of principle, liberal principles on that. I think people should be free to kind of get get together with who they want. Um, the radical feminists, it tends to be more of a there's there's more of a kind of anti pornography campaign and anti prostitution campaigns going on at the moment, I think is. Um, yeah, again, I, I agree with aspects of that as well. I think um, I don't think it's, it's inherently good, just like the commodification of people's bodies and, and the idea that there's that pleasure is all that there is in life. I think there is like a deeper a deeper reason to be with someone, for example. Um, and then you have like the traditionalists, the, the trads, the trad, uh, the, the trad wing of the feminist movement, which is um, just a, just like appalled by everything. Um, but, but, it, but yeah, like, but, but that's their role, I suppose. But, but they're, but, but then they're not completely wrong either. I mean, I think there's a, as we've talked about, I think many women get a raw deal from, from hookup culture. Um, I also think, um, yeah, I think there's something to be said. There's, there's kind of a deeper meaning, uh, to, to being with someone than just like gratification. I think being, building like a connection, building a deeper bond, building something, um, meaningful i think is i think there is an importance to that i'm not i don't subscribe to the to the whole um you know progressive thing that you know is ostensibly anti-capitalist but yet treats other human beings as if they're completely like disposable when you can just swap one person out for someone else i think sometimes uh it's it's much there's much more kind of value to be built in building a longer a bigger connection it's like that story of the blind man and the elephant isn't it? It's <laughs> some of them. Everyone's touching a different part, and someone has got a little bit of truth within their own different domain. Yeah, man. I, so I'm really, really fascinated with what we see next. Like what happens? How we move forward from this position with sort of increasing sexual liberation, but a biological compulsion to have a family. You know, you have to be no matter how culturally deprogrammed you think things need to get. You have to be an incredibly unique man or woman, I think, to make it to fifty without a partner or a family and say, look back and say that it was a good, a good decision. That's not to say that there aren't people out there for whom that is correct, but to make it to that stage, it, you are an outlier. Like by definition, you would have been, your, your genes would not have made it through. So that is, that is by definition an outlier perspective, but it seems that finding families and creating families is going to get more difficult. I, I don't know if you agree. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think some ways the kind of it, it aside from the kind of um, the the actual incels or whatever, I think that the, the kind of dating environment now it can also create like a uh, like an uh, aura, like a halo, or like a penumbra of insecurity around uh, existing relationships because there's so much choice potential on an app. On could have always done a little bit better. You've got it in the back of your mind. Yeah, so there's there's stats in one of David Buss's books again, which is talks about how um, when we're exposed to a partner who's who's more attractive than 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 our other, when we're exposed to a, a partner who's who, someone in the media, social media who's more attractive than our partner, we we tend to become you know if someone asks us questions about them, we tend to give less 
committed answers to this partner. So, oh, you know, it's not that serious or whatever. There's 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 quite big studies on this. And when we're ex- and our satisfaction goes down with our current partner. So when we're exposed all the time to these um, images of, of so-called perfection, many of them not even real. Many of it's you know many of them are uh, airbrushed and and edited and whatever. Are kind of we we the same we feel the same way we do with our work or whatever that you know the grass is greener on the other side that everyone else is living this amazing life while we're you know our life is a real life you know it's not perfect like even the people on social media you know that that's not real but but there's this perception that it's real um, at least to some extent and we feel more dissatisfied with our current product so it, so the the environment now with social media I think it creates this bigger air of insecurity around existing relationships as well makes that more like perilous should I get in a relationship because is um, you know there's more opportunity to cheat I mean like one in three what is it no it's, it's like 25 percent I think of men on tinder have partners already like girlfriends or wives or, or are married <laughs> it's, it's uh it's sort of shock, it's shocking in a way there's like more opportunity and yeah more opportunity to cheat wasn't there a you interviewed a lady on your podcast who went for a date directly opposite the apartment block where the man that she was on a date with lived with his missus and his missus came down and started shouting at them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing I think men for men, I think they should speak to women more about their experiences on dates because I mean, every, every woman I've been out with in, in the last like, couple of years, I've, I've kind of been curious and talked about their experiences on dating apps and they all have like a super weird story, whether it's like a weird, like catfish story or, or um yeah things like that where someone's someone's married and then hides it and or just like worse where it's someone who's creepy or pushy or something like that but um yeah it's i mean the internet allows people to conceal um conceal their intentions a bit more what's porn doing to dating i think porn's making men more like apathetic to get to kind of go out there and 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 make the effort to meet someone because it's you know it's um i think that's kind of common sense really i think that's that's fairly obvious that if someone has the i think going out to meet new people especially so i was someone who's very socially awkward when i was uh so from like 17 till about 22 i didn't have a girlfriend that lived in in the countryside had like a lot of social anxiety it was very um i wouldn't say introverted shy so i would be afraid to i i could not imagine going and having a conversation with with a woman or something and i think um, if you're in that situation, I think it's, there's already so much fear around going outside and stuff. And you're just kind of um, like pornography is another reason to kind of stay in. It takes care of one of your basic needs in the way that computer games will stimulate you. Or there's there's one less reason to go outside to find simulation, to find to like engage with the world. It's it's like a simulation of the world. I think that that's a big thing. And also, I think it's the a view of women. There's the obvious points about I think um, you see the prevalence of, of men uh, treating women in a certain way um, in the bedroom because they've seen something in, in like a porn film and um, they, they, they don't they, they aren't calibrated to whether the woman is, is, you know, that's something they're enjoying. And it's and then, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you hear lots of stories from women about this in the media, like the pornification of sex. I think that's a problem. And um yeah, I mean, and, and just the, the standards. So so people think that this is the certain standard of beauty, what they see in, in like a porn film. It makes guys feel insecure on the one hand. So they think if they're not the guy in the porn film who they don't know is, you know, taking like some Viagras or whatever and um, on steroids and, and everything else, 
they they think that like that's the standard they have to live up to now so it makes them get like anxiety and for women it's like they feel the same way sometimes about the porn actresses that men are that's the kinds of women that men desire so you have to live up to that i think it can be very harmful um yeah i think i mean i'm not sure what i think would do about it in terms of like um policy or like whether it should be restricted or anything but i think it can be very harmful what about porn and sex addiction you had a conversation about this right what do you find out there yeah i mean i think um so i have adhd so i can get basically easily addicted to anything anything <laughs> stimulating um but yeah i mean it's with with kind of um i'm not sure if sex if i believe really sex addiction sex addiction but i think it's more like dopamine addiction isn't it so it's it's kind of i i take medication because there's like a lack of dopamine in my brain and the medication fills the, the dopamine gap in the neurotransmitters so i mean if you um yeah i mean we all like a dopamine hit so i mean that's what sex addiction is in a way just that on steroids or something yeah they looked at your guest looked at the pathways i think and couldn't find any similarities between the sort of typical addictions that people were finding with drugs and and that from porn or from sex but as he said i think it was tiger woods that he used as the example if you lose your night contract because you've cheated on your wife, that's one thing. But if you've lost your night contract because you've got an addiction, then you go to rehab and come back out. That's <laughs> something quite different. And you're able to get your your sponsorship back. Right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my girlfriend accuses me of using ADHD as an excuse. So it's like, oh, I can't help it. I've got ADHD. I've got a medical thing. I've got a note from the doctor. <laughs> got a disorder. Yeah. What about OnlyFans? What do you think that's doing to men and women's views of each other? I mean, I think it's, it's, like I think it's a sad situation, but not not in kind of a prudish way. So I mean, I don't really feel like like shocked, like oh my god, these these people are kind of um, you know doing this stuff uh, like online. It's more just like first of all because I think there's an economic critique of it where women feel like the the, the most valuable asset in society is to just take their clothes off for thirsty men basically. But then on the other hand, you've got I think the, the situation on, on the part of many men is quite sad as well, because with OnlyFans, it's not always just pornography. I mean, you have men trying to form intimate connections with with their quote-unquote girlfriends, um, and we'll regularly see the same same people. And it's the women who've, women who've talked about this often have talked about how um, the men also want a conversation and want some kind of connection with someone that they don't have in in, in the real world. So, I mean, I think, I think those two things are quite kind of depressing kind of comments or commentaries on the, the like atomization of society. I think there's something else going on here with regards to women's views of men as purely commodities or purely sort of a wallet to open up. And I think that this trickles down. You see this in young girl culture, or at least I do in nightclubs, that girls are happy to bounce from table to table in a nightclub. That's what I do. I run nightclubs and you see the girls that will move between the different tables and take drinks from whatever. And they'll stay on the table. That's got the most bottles, the biggest one. And you think, well, yeah. So part of this is just old school hierarchical resource acquisition and, and trying to get the guy that looks like he's got the most status. Cause he's got the most, the biggest table with the biggest bottles. But I also think there's something else going on, which is that when women are able to make, astronomical amounts of money you know six figures a month from commodifying themselves but taking the money out of the pocket of men quite rightly there's an argument on one side that says well 
men have been the gatekeepers for wealth for far too long and women are able to take this back. And you go, well, yeah, but is it, is it your highest virtue to, to do it at sort of the lowest, most base level of what it is that you have to offer the world? Like, you know, prostitution's as old as time, but, and that's not to say that doing sex work online is the same as prostitution, but it's not a million miles away, you know? It's not a million miles away. And I think that there was this quote from a buddy of mine who said that um, just as porn is impacting men's opinion, uh, men's uh, expectations of women, OnlyFans is impacting women's expectations of men. And that um, you mentioned it a couple of times, transient, transactional sort of relationship. What can I get out of you for what you want from me? It does seem to kind of encourage that commodification of relationships. Yes, definitely. And I think I think there's there are feminists, I think, who have a good critique of the OnlyFans phenomenon in that like you may you may go on to like OnlyFans and if you're a attractive woman and make far more money than you make in, in your regular job, but you're also helping to perpetuate a culture where a woman's value highest value is seen just as her physical attractiveness. So you you're you're kind of um you're not helping the sisterhood, so to speak. I think that's a good good a good critique of it from a feminist perspective that you're you're helping to perpetuate this standard social standard where a woman feels often feels like her only value is how attractive she is which does obviously harm women in the long term it, you know because they'll they'll you you see this the the the, the quote-unquote shelf life of um women in modeling or or you know music career or whatever um or you know in the in the the red pill communities or whatever they talk of women you know over 35 is hitting the wall and um but you know it's it's, it's it's an unpleasant term but it it speaks to how women lose many of their opportunities in our society when they lose their physical beauty and and you know i think only things like OnlyFans perpetuate that idea that a woman's a woman's value is attached, attached just to her physical attractiveness yeah you are right there's a an episode with heather hang and brett weinstein on rogan it was the first one they did together years ago now and they asked everybody to try and imagine somebody of the opposite sex who is beautiful but not hot and then someone that is hot but not beautiful. And the distinction that they made there was that a lot of modern culture, especially media, magazines, Instagram, so on and so forth, they're signaling off hotness, not beauty. And hotness wanes with age, whereas beauty can either stay stable or appreciate with age. You know, you think of someone that's got grace and poise and they've kind of got this timeless sort of look to them that stays over time, as opposed to someone that's hot, which is kind of quite obvious and in your face and it's very much sort of that Instagram style. And um, yeah, again, with that, like I, I said this to uh, with a surprisingly low amount of kickback from the internet, that if you're a woman who's made it to 30 and your primary source of value is still your looks, then you need to be quite careful about how you spend the next five years because that is typically that is only going to go in one direction, no matter how much cosmetic surgery you get. And if that's you need to have something else, think about an investment portfolio. If you had an investment portfolio and 100% of your investment was in one particular stock, you'd think, well, I probably could be a bit more hedged here. I probably could spread my risk a little bit more effectively. And the same thing goes with, with girls. Like There is a fucking litany of personal development stuff out there for you so you can become spiritually comfortable with yourself outside of it you can gain confidence you can you know do whatever it is that you want to do but only fans allows the race to the bottom of the brainstem to perpetuate 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the the, um, the, the on the one hand, so the, the 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 superficial standards in a way of I think also what social media does and what the apps do is they create this kind of uh, archetype of someone who's attractive, both for men and women, and it's very crude. So so I think. I, I, I think it emphasizes like the child or it puts people in these boxes like you're a child or you're a, you're a loser or whatever. Whereas I think um, in the in the real world is like what people are attracted to. It's not like a conscious choice. And I think it's way more, way more complex. I mean, someone could not be like the quote unquote nine or 10 in like looks or whatever, but they can be a very charismatic person. They can have a very magnetic Dude, I've got I've got some really ugly mates that crush yeah, it with girls. Yeah, that exactly. absolutely crush it with yeah. girls. And you think, well, yeah. you wouldn't have got picked up on the app, but they they like every single night they swarms of girls around them because they're funny or charming or whatever. Yeah, yeah it's like they have the, the 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 cool vibe or whatever, and they give off that kind of aura of of, of being cool. I guess um, if that if that that isn't too vague, but I think social media gives this idea to. Um, men and women that that there's kind of one type of look one one version of success in a way and then I think it's it is quite easy to get disheartened by that because we're bombarded with we're on our phones you know all day we're bombarded with these images constantly and this idea of what the kind of the so whereas once we were bombarded with the idea of what the the the, the normal life is the monogamous nuclear family whatever picket white picket fence now we're bombarded with this idea of what's attractive um, and if you're not living up to that, again, women have had this for years. You're not living up to that. You should feel bad about yourself. But I think it's also men are subjected to that similar pressure uh, now as well. Like if you're not the Chad, if you're not these things, then, um, yeah, you're, 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 you're kind of screwed. What's it's not really true. Yeah. What's happening with consent at the moment? Because I remember a little while ago, maybe sort of two two to five years ago, there was all of this sort of consent porn floating around and these weird, um, you must ask before you say hello, you must ask before you touch, you must ask before that. What's, where's that at? Have you, have you seen any of this stuff? I mean, with, with, with that stuff, I mean, I think that stuff will, I think that stuff will always hit the roadblock of, um, like, in terms of, like, people, there's a joke about, you know, having to sign consent forms before you, you sleep with some of the stuff. I mean, that's never going to happen because that isn't anyone. That isn't how it goes down. That isn't just isn't how it goes. That isn't how it happens. And I don't think that's how most people, most women would want would want it to happen like that either. But I do think at the same time, I, I absolutely do think that like there is a a lot of education to be done among men in terms of again, if you if you if when I've spoken to to girlfriends, uh, people I've dated about their experiences uh, from from dating apps and whatever they all have one story of some some pushy guy who who doesn't pretty much all of them have some story of some pushy guy who doesn't accept no for an answer um so there's something wrong in the culture i think that that's still something women have to face they don't feel they can report it they don't feel like they can uh, necessarily come forward about that i think there's there's two things going on i think the attempt to formalize it through you know um affirmative consent written consent or whatever is i think that's ridiculous but i do think there's um there needs to be you know more repercussions for men who who don't you know who who do push push the boundaries and, and don't accept no for an answer but i also think men need to be that there is a there is a kind of rape culture um to some extent i think in certain like fraternities of men 
What does that mean? I think there's, there's, I mean, there's kind of a, a, an assumption, I think, among some men that, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I heard from the pickup community years ago that, that, that you know, women have, some women have rape fantasies, so um, there's like, it's okay to kind of, to push it and, and you know, no means, you no know, just means not yet and this kind of stuff, which I think is, that's very dangerous to be telling, um, especially socially uncalibrated or dark triad, dark triad men, this kind of information. They, they, they would feel like they have a free pass to sexually assault someone. But I just think there's, in terms of just from speaking to like female friends and stuff, I, I, I feel like there is an assumption among some men that they can just keep pushing it and there won't be really any repercussions um, if they do that because um, few women would actually do want to go take these things further. Mm. Yeah, man. I mean, I, that makes me that makes me really uncomfortable, the fact that pretty much every girl that you know, and I think a lot of the ones that I do as well, have had a situation where this happens. I wonder, so David, David Buss in that Bad Men, and anyone who hasn't read it needs to go and check it out because it's a fucking awesome read. He talks about the fact that most men aren't like this, but you have a, a small minority of men that complete the majority of offenses. And um, yeah, the danger is that you nerf relationships to the stage where all of the excitement, which, which comes from the, the uncertainty, right? Like the reason that people get excited is the fact that she doesn't know if you're actually interested or not, and you don't know if she's interested or not, like that's where the spark comes from, at least in part. And if you get rid of that, you know, with even if you decide against having the, the, the form and the fingerprint ID to say, yes, I want to have sex, if you do have enough to get rid of that excitement, again, desire will always win out, and it, it, you're going to lose. So I don't know how much you can cul- culturally sort of get rid of the of the real bad actors you know if you've got someone that's narcissistic psycho psychopathic and high in machiavellianism like i think those people are just going to fuck the game no matter what i, I don't i don't want to call anyone a lost cause but kind of just feel a little bit like that yeah i mean i don't think you ever like eliminate the, you know the the propensity of a segment of people to try and take advantage of you know, people try and take those people who try and take advantage of any situation. You know, if there's money there, they would steal it. If there's, they feel like they can get away with sexually insulting someone, they will do that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a police matter, basically. But I do think there's, I mean, I do think there's an onus on on the rest of us as men to kind of call that out when we see it. You know, I I do think a lot of men are good at this already. Like, I do think there is that kind of. Um, you know, in the street or something, if, if people see someone hassling a woman, men often will step in um, and and, in, and intervene. I think doing that, I think, can be can be a positive. Like, if you, if your friend is is acting in a way that's sleazy or whatever, like calling them out. I also think men learning basic social skills, so being socially calibrated, so that uh, so as David Buss says in in his book, is so they have more empathy from the woman's perspective. So you know, asking your female friends. How does it feel when, how, you know, what, what was this experience? How did that feel like to you? Like, because, you you know, I've been with, with a, a, a girlfriend in like a bar or something and someone's approached and I just thought it was like a normal conversation and she was like, oh, he was really creepy. And it's like, ask him why? Because I think our men and women, you know, often don't see the other person's perspective. Totally so, different worlds. Yeah, we dating, exist in different planes. Yeah, dating and stuff. So I think that would be, that would be something like we, we can do um, as, as kind of guys in that situation. 
I've definitely seen a big change in the way that young guys talk about relationships and girls in general and sort of the culture. So I've been in lads chats of one form or another, whether that be like BlackBerry Messenger, BBM pin back in the day, or WhatsApp chats for kind of the last 10 years or so, running club nights, constantly having young guys in there who are at university, who are liberated sexually, who have parties and girls on tap and hearing the sort of language and seeing it come out of myself as well. And, you know, like the, the movement over time where the Overton window of acceptable speech has shifted from and to perfect example of this. We used to have um, cards that all of the boys had to have in their wallets at all times. And it said, um, you're fit come to voodoo and it was a free entry pass but we could they could only give it to girls and there was another one that said your mint come to skint that was a bit more cheesy um and someone posted it in one of our group chats today and said look what i just found in an old wallet and uh, a bunch of people said fucking hell mate you wouldn't be able to do that now wouldn't be able to have wouldn't be able to have that now and it is a little bit tongue-in-cheek but the fact that you have people who aren't culture warriors they're not bothered about keeping their finger on the pulse of the fucking bleeding edge of what's happening with ideology and identity politics and intersectionality but they are aware that there has been some sort of a reckoning that has happened you know whether it be me too whether it be jimmy savile then sort of trickling down to the epstein and the weinstein and the so on and so forth they're aware of that and these are just fucking salt of the earth dudes who are now in their late 20s looking back on their time at university and realizing wow times have changed in the period of less than 10 years mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's kind of a, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think on the one hand, there's, there's, I think it's good that these, these bad guys have been exposed. There was people getting away with so much for so long um, in terms of how they treated women. I think it's, it's good they've been exposed. But I, I think some of the, the media kind of interpretation of some of this stuff is a bit overblown um, on, from both sides. So I think the, there is this idea propagated on, uh, progressive social media that all women just walk around in fear of being assaulted at all times. Um, I think that's an exaggeration. Um, but I also think that the, the kind of um, there's a that there's an aspect in the, of the kind of manosphere, if you like, where, which which exaggerates how much how difficult it is to go and start a conversation with a woman nowadays because oh you're going to be accused of of sexual assault or something. It's like people actually know who go out and um, do um, date and and go on date stuff. Who, who are socially calibrated and, and aren't like weird, they don't, they never have these experiences, these, these issues really, because there is a sweet spot where it's like, just be cool. Here's, um, here's what I keep on thinking. Weird. I keep on thinking that the vast majority of people making these comments about the real world only exist on the internet, but because mm-hmm. they're the loudest voices on the internet, people mm-hmm. like us that exist in the real world as well, that maybe sort of have one foot in either mm-hmm. and straddle it, are like, oh, fuck, dude, did you hear about... Did you hear about the fact that 17% of people don't want it? And it's like, yeah, but those 17% of people don't leave the house. That's yeah. the 17% of people that have never had anybody come up to them ever. And I've got... Yeah. F- Sorry, Karen. Just I've got a friend who is a very fucking well-rounded young guy. Uh, and I was out with him not long ago. And he, he reiterated that to me. He said that to me. He was like, dude, like, you know, sort of do with getting a bird at the moment it's i'm going through a bit of a dry patch or whatever and i was like oh man like you know there's the chicks over there and chicks he's like no man you can't go up and talk to someone you know it's dangerous and i said you are 
You've spent too much time on the internet, my friend. You spent too much time on the internet. Yeah, that, that that is that is a good example, I think, of like Twitter mind or where. Um, so I, I try not to use social media too much because on the one hand, you've, I've got you know there's Instagram where it's like this idea of perfection in terms of photos, and then on Twitter it's this um, that it can be this like weird activist space where any kind of social faux pas, people like a load of obsessives who are just on there all day will jump on it and uh, and tear it tear you to shreds and and that's happened to me like a bunch of times um, <laughs> but then yeah if you go out if you go out to a bar or something or if you just go out into the real world or if you know I I have tried to have friends not in that space so not engaged in politics not on Twitter all the time and when I'm with those people it's I just remember it's like coming up for air I remember that actually uh, in the real world it's it's um, yeah, common sense tends to prevail and people have a reason, fairly reasonable idea of how to approach these situations. Again, yeah, there's the, the percentage of people who don't. But, um, I mean, I wouldn't be friends with those people anyway. So, What about masculinity? Do you think, obviously, there's been a bit of a reckoning, like masculinity has been a, an analogy or it's been on the, the ancillary end of, of this reckoning around Me Too and men in positions of power using that to get themselves access, sexual access and abusing it and stuff like that. But it does feel, at least to me, like that's left a bit of a void for masculinity that men are now struggling to try and find a societally acceptable, wholesome, but also desirable masculine cliche for them to, a road for them to walk down. Yeah, I think it's, I think there is like a lot of, um, it is kind of, it's, it's like a cliche to say it, but it is a confusing time to be a man, particularly a younger man, I think, in many ways within the culture because on the one hand you're you're fed this narrative that masculinity is toxic and i mean so i've even i've even read things about um so yesterday i was reading something and it talked about how gym memberships has gone up 40 percent between 2015 and 2018 or something and when i read that i thought oh that's that's great that means more people are taking care of themselves as because we have an obesity problem so it's it's a good thing if more people are joining the gym but it was framed as this kind of toxic obsession with the self and um then i've seen it framed as you know toxic masculinity and yeah i mean it can be of course if when it goes to a certain point but generally it's like a positive thing to uh work out so i like i i find it somewhere where i can switch off from the writing and meet a different kind of uh crowd of people that i'd meet through that journalism and it's just like it's just that it's just a great um a, a great environment to be in it's loads of positive positive things come from that but it was framed as like toxic and, you know, toxic masculinity. Um, so, so men, I think, are often fed this narrative that masculinity is inherently toxic, um, which I think is, can be very damaging. But then they go out onto the sexual marketplace, they go out to a bar, they go onto an app, and it's the guys who are stereotypically masculine, which tend to be doing better with um, when it comes to dating. So it, there's, it throws up this kind of cognitive dissonance, like what is going on here? So when I was in my early, uh, late teens, early twenties, I was into like emo and uh, punk music and stuff. Where it's not the most like masculine dudes like um, lamenting their lost like sweethearts and stuff. And and I I, I absorbed and vibed the idea that that was how that you should put your wear your heart on your sleeve. That's how you. Uh, that yeah. sounds like a that sounds like a Taking Back Sunday song or something, doesn't uh, it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure there is a song from that. <laughs> genre uh, entitled that but i thought that was the way you kind of like that's the way you this is the way you get girls you like dye your hair black and wear like nail varnish and be like uh 
sensitive, like sensitive. Jared sensitive. Leto. Jared Leto gets the birds, man. <laughs> but then those people have status, though. So that was what I was misunderstanding. So if they're in the world famous like emo band, they have status, so they can dress as a you know a, a chocolate chip cookie, and they'd still get laid. Yeah. Um, but it but it was um but 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 the reality like if you look at the, the the like the evidence like I went out a lot I spent a year I spent a long time at university and then I was in Vegas for like a while and I was going out a lot and you see what 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 how it goes down really you see the people who these the women you find attractive go home with and it isn't the the sense nice sensitive emo guy it's the uh, extroverted socially dominant whatever. Not always the chat necessarily, just the person with the status in the environment, say the club environment for the person who has the DJ, the dance floor table, whatever. Um, and I think that confuses, that was really confusing to me um, as a man, because it's like, I felt like I was being lied to by the mainstream. The progressives were lying to me and saying that it was just a blank slate and men and women just want the same things. And even the mainstream itself would, was still wedded to this old style, old fashioned narrative that just don't worry about it. You'll you'll meet someone, and fate will take care of it. Like in the Hollywood film, where the nerd, the the nice man, the nice fellow gets the woman in the end. So I think it's very confusing, both of those things. But there hasn't been, as far as I can see, a solution. There hasn't been something new that's come through to fill that void. It's like, yeah, I can accept. Everyone can accept. Should be able to accept that men using status and resources to get abusive access to sex in return for them doing something in the workplace is like fucking reprehensible. But we also have to concede that there are certain elements of masculine energy, which are inherently attractive to women. Okay. Yeah, so you, yeah. you've thrown the, the baby, the bathwater and the fucking baths gone out the window. Like what are we left with? Yeah. I mean, so yeah, there, there is a contradiction in the lamenting the, on the one hand it's, you know, we lament the abuse of, men in powerful positions, exploiting that position to, I don't mean like Weinstein, Weinstein necessarily, because that, that's, that's a rape situation. But I mean, where men in high power, high power positions um, use that position to get with younger, much younger women, much more attractive women than they are. And, and that's kind of everybody is exploiting everyone in some ways. And again, I'm not talking about harassment or, or, or things like that, but it's like, you often have have the the women who are who are going to these nightclubs, say in that that environment, just to find to these tables to find the high status men because they will benefit economically and increase their own social status if they're on their Instagram. Yeah, and then the men the the men are using their own leverage, their status, their their finances, their even just their contacts in the club. Like in Vegas, you you also had a layer of uh, entrepreneurs in that respect who didn't have any money. But would still be on the have these dark, these amazing tables because of connections and stuff, which was quite interesting. But then because they'd have the status, they would now kind of um, they would now meet more women than they would if they just stayed in their usual economic role. So I mean, everyone's exploiting everyone in in, in some respects. I, I think it's the, the we don't really hear that because everything today is framed in like oppressor oppressed, and it's this binary. Whereas in some situations, yeah, people are getting different things out of out of the situation. Yeah, it's too simplistic. Man. Mm-hmm. to split things yeah. off like that it just yeah it doesn't doesn't take in any of the nuances of 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 human beings basically that you know men are, are not not just like this and women are not just like this but sometimes we are selfish sometimes we seek to improve our own status sometimes um yeah and 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 
no one's inherently virtuous. Like there's like Bertrand Russell's quote about the fallacy of the superior virtue of the oppressed. It's like I agree that women have been oppressed by a kind of patriarchal structure, superstructure for much of the last kind of few thousand years, but that doesn't mean that, that there aren't, you know, that doesn't mean that, there, that all men are bad, men are trash or whatever, and, and that women are inherently virtuous. It's obviously more complicated than that. It's the same theme that I'm seeing with pretty much everything that sort of social deconstructionists that want to completely upend absolutely everything are doing it at such a pace that we can't work out which is baby and which is, which is bathwater. It's like, look, did I need that bit of society? It's like, nope, too late, it's gone, it's in the incinerator. You're like, fuck, I might have wanted that. Like, we might, it might have been, religion might have been useful. Like, there's, there's an increasing number of people that are cultural Christians now because they fucking long for a, a, a weekly service with people from their local community that helps them feel awe and a connection to a higher power. But we threw that out of the, and it's like, okay, so let's throw out of the window masculinity. Let's throw out of the window the, all of this stuff. And, we should do that with our peril, man, because fucking having to reinvent all of the shit that we already discovered is, it's a real fuck on and it's highly inefficient. Yeah, and there's an arrogance to it as well that, I mean, it's very, um, so we, we see our society now and think that will just prevail forever. You know, we can throw as much shit at it as we want, um, but it'll just be fine. You know, we'll always live in a liberal democracy. We'll always be able to, but it's like, no, you can actually, throw enough at it and then it, it it's deposed for something much worse where you, you no longer have the freedom to, to criticize that that system um yeah i mean i think the i think we're we're at a place now where um the west is kind of denigrated and and like i i have many criticisms of of like capitalism for example but i think i was i feel very, relatively lucky to, to have been born in in this country and to to grow up here i don't feel um, and I grew up working in a working class home. I wasn't someone from a privileged background, but I still feel relatively fortunate to grow up here. And and there's a, there's a weird deconstructionism around um, gender roles and specific, specifically. So, I mean, on the one hand, you know, I think gender is nature and nurture. I think there's many roles that women have been pushed into to, for the, for the advantage of men, so that um, you know, for the service of men, basically. But at the same time. I find it, it's really weird to me that the main narrative in like, liberal politics is this blank slate ideology where there's no such thing as masculinity and femininity. It's all a social construct because I feel like at the same time, everyone knows in their dating life that that's not true because there has to be some polarity there. You're, there there's the old like thing about like, opposites attract. You're, you're, there's, um, there's there has to be this polarity there it's like you know what femininity is as a as a heterosexual man i know what feminist i may not be able to describe femininity necessarily but i know it when i see it like that 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 famous um that famous quote and and i think most women it's the same but we have to we pretend otherwise i think because i i, I don't know i think because if we acknowledge that there's these things that are inherently different people fear that then um you know, it won't be different but equal. It would be different, but therefore you must, you must. If you're a woman, you must stay in the kitchen or you must uh, stay at home or whatever. And I think that's, um, yeah, I mean, that's inevitable, though, isn't it? Because for for in the recent past, that was what men used that information to do. They used the differences between men and women to oppress women. Danger of overshooting, man. Really, really got to be got to be careful with that stuff. But James Bloodworth, ladies and gentlemen, 
If people want to keep up to date with what you're doing, where should they go? Uh, so you can follow me on Instagram at james.bloodworth. Um, and also Twitter is j underscore bloodworth. Awesome. Cheers, dude. Cool. This was fun. Thank you.